it's been a long time since we've rock and rolled. But that all changes this August as Rockin' Pod returns to Nashville. This annual convention brings together rock artists, fans, and podcasters for an unforgettable rock experience. Special guests this year include Billy Sheehan, Ron Keel, Don Jameson of That Metal Show, and current and former members of Winger, LA Guns, Accept, and more. Stage panels, signing sessions, and photo ops will be available, plus lots of vinyl and memorabilia vendors. Music podcasters from all over North America will be appearing on site for live interviews, speaking sessions, networking, and more. Got a music podcast? Register and join us. Rockin' Pod Weekend kicks off with a pre-party featuring former Tesla guitarist Tommy Skeo and his new band Resist and Bite making their debut performance, as well as a rare hair set featuring surprise guests performing all-time classics. Rockin' Pod Weekend takes place August 6th through the 8th in Nashville, Tennessee. Tickets, VIP passes, podcast registration, and discounted hotel rooms are available now at rockandpod.com. Rockin' Pod is brought to you by DBG Productions, Bradley Entertainment, and Inceptia. gentlemen, boys and motherfucking girls, this is your captain with no name speaking, and I'm here to rock your world, with a tale that will soon be a classic, about a woman you already know. No prostitute she, but the mayor of your brain Pussy control Ah, pussy control Pussy, 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 pussy Welcome to the Sly Dog Music Cast Experience. This experience will cover Prince's 1995 release, The Gold Experience. Joining the experience will be Sonny Pooney of the Growing Up Rock podcast. Please enjoy your experience. Welcome back to the Sly Dog Music Cast. I'm your host, the Sly Dog, and joining me today, I'm happy to have from the Growing Up Rock Podcast, Mr. Sonny Pooney. Sonny, how you doing? What's going on, man? Good to be here. Great to have you here, man. This is this is awesome. Um, every year I do a Prince episode, and every year I've had someone different, so I'm glad to have you this year. You did a great uh, 
top 10 Prince songs with our friends over at the Pods and Sods Network. And I thought you were the guy to do this with this year. Yeah, we've done one Prince episode on Grown Up Rock. It was several years ago. We waited until, um, you know, a couple of years after his death. And, you know, Prince has some rock stuff, but really we try to stick with rock on Grown Up Rock mostly. Yeah. So um, we don't get to talk Prince too much. Yeah, that's true. I will say it was a really good episode. You picked some songs that really surprised me. Like it actually kind of made me like you picked Loose at one yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. I, I hadn't really visited come yet. So I went and checked out that album. I thought that was an interesting pick. Yeah. Stuff like Xana Lee, like there's this whole thing about, Oh, well we found out Prince is a super duper rock guitar player on the hall of, hall of fame thingy. I'm like, guys, it's been there since let's go crazy. Were you not listening? Yeah, I, I would argue even earlier. Like I think the earliest example that I could think of is uh Ronnie talk to Russia. Like that's, Oh a, yeah. Yep. That's a punk ripper for sure. <laughs> So I think all the other stuff he was doing was overshadowing um, some of the guitar playing. And I think he was okay with that. I don't think that was a problem. Yeah. I don't think necessarily he set out to be one thing. He just set out to be Prince. So the fact that that part got overshadowed, as long as the music was good, I don't think he cared. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think he just, and we'll talk about it here because it comes up in a couple of songs. I think there's just stuff, there was just stuff oozing out of him, And at times it made sense. At times it didn't make sense. And he just kind of put music to it and put it out there. And now there's a bunch of stuff in the vault we're finding out, which I'm praying to God, there is a rock album in the vault. Cause that would be amazing that there was some sort of blues rock album that, you know, he didn't want or Warner brothers never wanted to touch and he didn't want to release it on his own. Cause it would confuse his fans or whatever. That'd be so awesome. I would love that too. I feel like the closest we got to that, it wasn't even like a posthumous release. It was one of his last ones. I thought third eye girl, with Plectrum Electrum. I really hope yeah. I said that right. I thought that was the closest we got to a straight rock album. Yeah. And that was, well, I saw him on that tour. That was six, seven years ago now. Right. So um, 2014. Yeah. And that's just, I think he just plugged into a bunch of fuzz pedals. I'm not exactly sure it was rock. I think it was just rocked up. He was doing same style of music and he brought back endorphin machine and stuff like that. I think to rock it up a little bit. But even that to me is not really a rock record. I'm talking about like Adrian Smith has completely surprised us with this new Smith Cotson record, which sounds Cotson to me, but obviously Adrian Smith is involved and it sounds nothing like Maiden. Yeah. So that means Adrian Smith has an album in him that he can go do on his own if he wants. Interesting. Yeah. I haven't heard that record yet. So I'm, I, I got to check that one out. I saw that combination. And I went, really? Yeah. Okay. It's great. And they both sing. That's that's what's oh. blowing everybody away. Shit, I'm, I'm, I'm going to add that to my Amazon cart in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's start at the beginning, man. I always like to do the Princetory, as I call it, at the top, like your Prince history. So where did you jump in, man? Yeah, I jumped in at Purple Rain. So um, I'm 15. I'm about to turn 15 as Purple Rain uh, and really the songs because I couldn't go see the movie. It was an R-rated movie, so I wasn't allowed to go, right? Um, so you start hearing the songs, you start seeing it on MTV. Uh, I was getting into hair metal cause I grew up in San Francisco. So I was kind of looking for any rock video I could find, but you gotta, you know, swim through the Madonna and the Duran Duran and the Phil Collins and all these other videos. So you end up, most of the folks that are MTV kids like me end up being pop fans too, because you had to kind of shift through that to get through what you wanted to get to. Um, Prince got me right out of the gate 
with some of the stuff that was coming off Purple Rain that was on MTV. And then when I went to go spend my birthday money that year at age 15, uh, Purple Rain was part of my first album purchase. So I purchased four Ooh. albums that day and uh, Purple Rain was one of them. And for me, I've been a fan ever since because, you know, Prince, I think it's different things to different people. But for me, it's a perfect mix of like pop, top 40, R&B, hip hop, Motown, rock, guitar, vocal melody, sex, sensuality, dance, attitude, touch. Like there's all this stuff that Prince has that I absolutely love in all the music that I listen to. So he's easily my favorite artist of all time. Nobody touches him. Nice. Well, but I agree. That's, that's a really, really good point. Like there's all these like ingredients in the pot that is Prince and it all kind of bubbles out and uh, makes this interesting like cocktail that no one else can make. So I agree with you there. That's awesome. You jumped in right as like things were taken off too. Yeah. And you know, I'll I'll warn the listeners, you know, I know you've had uh, Christopher Titus. I know you've had Craig Smith. Uh, (laughs) I'm not historians. I'm not funny. Like those guys, those guys are uber smart. Just look at me as the better looking, much, much, much dumber, <laughs> darker cousin of those two. I'm just a fan. I don't, I don't really know a whole lot. I'm just like a fan of the music, if that makes sense. That's all right. Yeah, no, that's cool. Uh, because you're a fan, I can tell that this is going to be fun. So don't worry about you don't you have nothing to live up. You, you don't have to worry about living up to Titus or Craig or Craig or Craig Smith. They they were both great for their own for their own reasons. Uh, Titus was actually a lot a lot a lot of fun because um he totally took my show and hijacked it. I I, lo- I love him to death and he I'm I've got like a permanent invite to his Prince party now. But uh, he really like I had this plan to do Prince deep cuts and he kind of hijacked the show with some of his like little side rails and off ramps he's he's great though yeah yeah no he's a fun guy though both those episodes were great thank you man uh i'll keep my prince story short since everybody's heard at this point but basically um i jumped in unfortunately after prince died uh it was like a couple years afterwards i i just got i was listening to pods and sods do the they did all the warner brother prince albums kind of album by album thing and I, it occurred to me Purple Rain is one of those albums that like, I feel like you just have to hear. There are certain ones, songs in the key of life, um, Bad Out of Hell, like they're required listening if you're just like a serious music fan. So I'm like, I need to hear Purple Rain. So I bought it on Amazon. And when you buy something on Amazon, sometimes it gives you the automatic download. So I downloaded that and I popped on the headphones and I started the album and I was just blown away. Because the only Prince song I knew up to this point was Kiss. I hadn't heard Let's Go Crazy. I hadn't heard When Doves Cry. So I thought Prince was going to be a lot more like Michael Jackson. Not the case. So when that guitar kicked in and Let's Go Crazy, I was like, oh, oh, okay. And then by the time Computer Blues coming around, I'm like, my head's exploding. Like, what is this? Like, this is what Prince is? And then it just immediately became like, I have to hear more of this. And it wasn't long until I built out most of his musical collection in my library like i really went all in yeah i think uh you know neither michael said this nor prince said this and if they were living they probably would never say it but you know michael started before kind of prince did prince comes in and is watching kind of michael's career happening around his career and purposely in my opinion took a more guitar oriented r&b approach instead of a pop approach Cause I don't think he really wanted to 
even mess in Michael's world if he didn't have to. And reality is like Madonna's taking off. Like we said, Duran Duran's taking off. Genesis is taking off. There's like my, uh, George Michael's taking off. Like there's all these pop acts that are having all these hits. I don't think Prince wanted to be kind of mixed in with all those guys. He wanted to do something different and he could. So he did. Right. Yeah. He never really, he never played by the, the rules of the pop world. I, I feel like he never made a, I mean, maybe you, I want to be your lover is kind of like a shot at a pop song. You, I guess you could argue, but he never really made anything with a thought like this. We'll get on the radio. I don't think, I don't think he did that. I think he just like, this is the best song I've got right now. Yeah. I highly doubt agreeing with you that he says, yeah, I'm going to uh, write a hit song for the radio. I doubt that I can probably put money on. Oh, that guy thinks he can do blah, blah, blah. Well, I can do that better than that guy can do it. And he would be, he would do things mad to just to show them up. (laughs) Right. And it's like, okay, well, that's got the flavor of blah, blah, blah. And you're right. That is probably better. And then he would go on to something else. I feel like he did that, especially like right before the album we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about the gold experience in a little bit. I feel like, so there's an era before that I call it new Jack Prince graffiti bridge, uh, diamonds and pearls and the love symbol album where he's very much, it's kind of got that 90s R&B, New Jack Swing flavor, kind of hip-hoppy at times. And I feel like that was him going, I'll show you guys. You think you can do that? No, no, I'm, I'm going to do it a thousand times better. And at times it was a little awkward, but he, he pulled it off best he could. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, that's a love-hate with uh, true Prince fans, no doubt about that. Uh, where a lot of rock artists, what ends up happening is, you know, xyz zeppelin or sabbath or whoever does x and then you know ozzy takes it to the next spot so it's not sabbath anymore but now it's more hair metal right and then zach takes that and takes it to the next spot and ozzy can't play in that spot and neither can black sabbath so just kind of let it go i think what prince did was he's like well i kind of created the flavor that they're using and now i'm going to take that flavor and put it into the next spot that they can't reach exactly i think you nailed it there yeah that's perfect so yeah today we're talking about the gold experience this is probably honestly i think it's my favorite prince album like i really have a i really love this one like this is one that like latched onto me right away when i got i remember going to amoeba records and seeing it there and going like this is like one of those like rare ones you're coming home with me type things and i'm putting it in the car and just immediately having the top of my head blown off by pussy control and endorphin machine and all those songs and then when i started reading about it this album has a fascinating history like the first single if you can call it the first single um most beautiful girl in the world that came out in i, I want to say like early 90 yeah early 94 and then the album came out in 95 and between that and the gold experience there's the black album official release and come like it's a really weird twisty story this thing took and at the time it was probably interesting to be a prince fan because he changed his name to a symbol and he was fighting with warner brothers like do you remember at the time like what the feeling kind of was being a fan like what were you thinking as all this all this was going on like coming off of like that greatest hits record and getting that single and then getting the black album and come and then finally getting the gold experience like what was your thoughts around the time yeah it was an interesting time to be a prince fan for sure um you know, depending on who you believe, you know, this is the story that I kind of believe is he was starting to lose people past love, sexy, et cetera. 
right? He's starting yeah. to lose people a little bit. And here comes Diamond and Pearls that really put him back on the map because folks that were getting into the R&B and the hip hop that was hot at the time uh, really attached to that album. And that album was a home run. And then he goes from, okay, I made it back. And, you know, whether it was really gone, I guess you could argue that. Yeah. <laughs> to get mad that Warner Brothers basically owns him. And he does not like that. And I remember he was taking it to the press. And I will tell you the whole slave writing on your face and taking it to the press and having those arguments in the press. I'm not a big fan of that personally. I mean, like you signed a contract. Okay. You're not happy with the contract you signed. Yeah. They're jacking you. They jack everybody. That's how they, that's who they are. Right. So if you want to go fight them, go fight them, but you got to go fight them publicly. Like that's, that's the part that it felt like he was trying to, Hey, either you're a Prince fan or you're everybody else that Warner brother has fan. That's it. You don't get a choice between the two, which I don't think that's what he was trying to do, but that's how it was kind of coming off. So to me, that early mid nineties was starting to come off as why are you whining so much all of a sudden, <laughs> right? Like you were, you're great. Like stop your whining and just do what they tell you to do. Like that's, and if you don't like it, then go independent and go do whatever you want. And that's what he started his websites and all that kind of stuff. So he kind of came off as a whiner to me a little bit. Now, <laughs> Monday morning quarterback, this whole publishing right thing and you owning your music and you making money off of your music. God damn, did that prove to be a thing that needed to happen to somebody at some point? Cause a lot of people got screwed over the last 35 years, no doubt. Uh, maybe 45 years, depending on who you believe. So the fights were worth it. But when I was, I'm also like in my early to mid twenties. So I just kind of saw this guy that was he holding on to the last pieces of his career and he's whining on the way out or is just a real thing. It was hard to determine in 93. Interesting. Yeah. I've always wondered if this era did like more damage than good in some ways. Cause I feel like it took a lot from him. Like I, I wonder sometimes if he had played the game, like it's awfully odd to me that the most beautiful girl in the world was his last top 40 hit. It doesn't seem like that should have been the last one. I feel like they could have had more, but I'm, he was blacklisted after that for speaking out. Not that he shouldn't have spoken out. He obviously did for a reason and he had the right to, but it, it had consequences. What he did had consequences, no doubt. Yeah. I think he knew there was going to be consequences and he was okay with, you know what? I guess I won't have mass marketing or mass appeal anymore, but I have enough fans. And if I make a hundred percent of the fans I have versus 2% of the mass appeal, ain't I even anyway? That's true. That's very true. Right. So, and then he gets to do his own thing kind of right. So my guess is if he's alive today, Oh my God, he's loving this right now. Cause he can go do anything he wants. However he wants to do it. Nobody tells him what to do. He doesn't have to market it much and the social media take, takes care of the rest. So he would be doing what he wants and making a ton of money. He would probably love what's going on right now. Oh yeah. No, he'd be impressed with people. Like I think like a Billie Eilish, like someone who made an album in her bedroom, he would love that. He would, uh, he would be like, that's how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's a lot of money behind Warner brothers. And I think he felt that pain because think about what he did. He went from this mass appeal to you literally have to be somebody special to get his music for X amount of years. There's no way you can continue 
to ask people who were fans of you in their teenage years to live their 20s and early 30s without any of your music unless they're somehow special to get it and then come back to you at 35, 40 years old and go, okay, well, I'm a Prince fan again because he's back in the limelight. You know, that's asking a lot. I did it. I know a ton of people who did it, but for the, for the normal casual listener, that's asking a lot. Yeah. You know, once for some, for a lot of people I've noticed over the years, like it's funny as a kid, I always like, was like, why do people like not stay fans of their favorite artists? And I've, as I've gotten older, I've realized like there's like life happens or sometimes it's just more difficult to follow someone. And I'm sure Prince made that really hard. If you're just a casual fan to keep up. So I've, I'm not surprised if a lot of people jumped off after like the hits and the B-sides. Yeah. And I think that's what uh, folks like Michael, folks like Madonna have done well in is they've just kind of grew with their fans, right? They didn't try to still write the teeny bopper songs that they were writing about, blah, blah, blah. As they got older and their fans got older, they just stuck with those fans and kind of grabbed new fans as they were going along, but wasn't marketing to the next set of teenagers. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. And because of the, all this, I think that when this album came out, I think that's why it died on the vine. Prince was already kind of over it at that point. The album had been recorded for some time. Like some of these songs, like Endorphin Machine and Dolphin, they were the first songs recorded for the album. They were recorded in July of 1994. Now, I know 1995 is only a year away, but to Prince, that's like an eternity. Like that is forever. And I had heard those, I saw them live in uh, middle of 93, and I had heard some of these songs already. So these songs have been around a while. I have 3,000 or so Prince songs in my iTunes library right now. There's uh, just of these songs, there's like six different versions of each one of these songs. Because I think what he ended up doing is he would do a maxi single, then he would do a radio promo single, then he would do a MPG mix, and then there would be a dirty mix and a club mix. And like he just kept kind of going on the same thing. I don't have 3,000 different songs. It's just 3,000 versions of it seems like the same probably core 500 songs. You're bringing your hard drive to rock and pod. If you, can, right? <laughs> you know, that's illegal, right? <laughs> uh, I'll cut that part out. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's great. But ultimately, all of that aside, to me, this is still one of his best albums. It goes up there with the Purple Rings, the 1999s, Dirty Minds, Sign of the Times, Around the World in the Day. It's up there. Like, I all like, I always tell people that are like casual Prince fans, like, I'm like, you got to hear some stuff off the gold experience. It's going to blow you away. It's the best thing you've never heard from him. Yeah. I would say uh, this album is about a track and a half away from being perfect to me. Right. My, my favorite Prince albums are obviously purple rain. They will always be, uh, I love diamonds and pearls that just hit right. It. I was turning like 21, 22 years old and Oh my God, was it just, so perfect. And then I love like musicology in 3121 because kind of the dance tracks came back mm. and it was a little more fun instead of some of the, you know, political things he was kind of doing. He was kind yeah. of mad at everybody for a while, it seemed like. And then when he kind of got unmad, you know, when you do albums like Slaughterhouse, they don't exactly, you know, say, you know, come, I don't know. I guess it's not sex, drugs, and rock and roll at that point. Um, right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> But uh, this, yeah, to me, this thing's about a track and a half away from being perfect for me. Quick sidebar. I always wondered, you talk about like, you know, him getting back to the dance tracks and stuff. I always wondered what people's reaction was uh, 
I think the album I had the weirdest time with was Rainbow Children. I remember getting that. Yeah. It showed up in the used bin at a local record store, and I was like, oh, hello. It was before they did the reissue. So I, I remember getting it home and putting it on, like, being like, whoop, ah, what is this jazz stuff? Yeah. What, uh, and, you know, we, we'll talk about it probably a little bit later too, but we'll talk about it now. Prince, to me, he makes it really tough for you to be a casual fan, right? It, it, he is asking a lot of his diehard fans because he is literally all over the place in his musical journey, right? There, there's a reason why ACDC fans stay ACDC. <laughs> it's the same songs it was in 1975 yep. done 326 times, right? So they know what they're getting. And that's what they want to get. And this is why there aren't restaurants where you can get sushi, hamburger, <laughs> Italian food. People want to go to different places to get different things. With Prince, he's like, look, it's a buffet kind of all the time, whether you like it or not. That turns off a lot of people. And that's tough. That's why a lot of the times when you talk to folks about you're a Prince fan. Well, I'm a Prince fan from blah, blah date and then blah, blah date. I don't really listen to this point in time. And a lot of the times that's like 95 to 2005, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but he asked for it, right? Because he is who he is. Yeah, that's very true. And then one more thing you were talking about loving recent albums. I'm curious. I think the, like the last great album he did in my opinion, like the last all the way through one that I think is great artificial age. What do you think of that one? Uh, I like that one. Um, my, probably that one's hit and miss a little bit for me 2010 is probably the last like solid album for me that he did from front to back you know it, it's not perfect by any means to me it's all unbelievable stuff there's no doubt about that but there's there's parts of prince that i'm like really i you know i gotta be in the mood for that I'm like that can't just come up on shuffle <laughs> that makes sense speaking of 2010 i am dying for a reissue of that album because I, I want a, I want a physical copy of it. And I'm waiting to, like, I could, I could buy one of the expensive ones on eBay, but it's going to be, like, just like when I bought the fucking Raven to the Joy Fantastic. They're going to reissue yeah. it in a couple months. <laughs> like, it always happens. Uh, I think the Prince Estate is doing a good job with that, right? I, I'm glad they didn't flood the market with literally everything and that now there's this Welcome to America coming out. I hope what the Prince Estate does is every year, there's a new thing that comes out of the vault every year. A new thing comes out of the vault. They could let Prince music live for the next hundred years. Probably if they did that. I agree. 150%. And between that and all the box sets that definitely could. Oh yeah. No doubt at all. Awesome. So you ready to get into the track by track? Yeah, let's go. Just real quick. Um, I didn't write notes for the segs. Did you write notes for the segs? Uh, no, not really. Cause okay. you know, they're, they're interesting segues for sure. I know I have some of them translated. Oh yeah. So I actually know what they say, but yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into track one, uh, pussy control. Uh, yeah. Uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and motherfucking girls. 
This is your captain with no name speaking And I'm here to rock your world With a tale that will soon be classic About a woman you already know No prostitute she but the mayor of your brain Pussy control you ready? In a schoolyard, a little girl skipping rope with her friends. A tisket, a tasket, no lunch in her basket, just school books for the fight she would be in one day over this hoodie. She got beat for some clothes and a rep. With a chin up, she stole it, all y'all's molded. When I'm rich on your neck, I will step. Best step she did to the straight A's, then college, the master degree. She hired the heifers that jumped her and made every one of them work for free. No, why so? What if my sisters are trifling? They just don't know. She said mama didn't tell them what she told me. Girl, you need pussy control. This was the last song recorded for the album, and this, it was the second promo single released. Uh, this song stands out from the rest of the album. It's Prince trying to at, trying his hand at rap again, but I think he sounds more confident than, than when he did on something like My Name is Prince. He sounds like he's really got it down. He's got great wordplay. The song about a badass, confident woman, and uh, the pilot with no name speaking, because his name is a symbol. <laughs> it's There's no way this song comes out today and has a chance like there's (laughs) there's no way like this is here's a perfect example of if this is your first prince album and this is the first prince song you ever hear maybe you don't give prince a shot anymore because he already has this um basically you know everybody kind of reputation of sexy weird eccentric right and then you do a song called Pussy Control, right? Now, I will tell you, Pussy got bank in her pockets before she got dick in her drawers. I mean, that's lyrical gold. There oh, is yeah. no doubt. And I love that he never worries about grammar in his lyrics. He's one of the few that isn't trying to write the next rhyme, the ancient mariner. Like, he's just going to move the words around to make it uh, rhyme however he needs to rhyme to fit the vocal melody. So, I've always been a fan of that, but you know, whether you think these lyrics are demeaning or this cancel culture probably canceled this song right away. Well, hell they kind of did. It's called P control. Now. Um, It's a great song though. There's no doubt about it. It's a very confident song too. Like I think it's actually very positive because it's a song about pussy. That's not about pussy. It's the name of the girl. It's brilliant. And I was, I was wondering that, you know, cause you don't really know, you don't know if it's a specific person Is he talking about every woman? Is she a hooker? Is she the CEO of Nike? Like you have really no clue, right? It's, I think to me, what he's talking about is you better be responsible enough to understand that a confident woman controls everything from money to sex, to romance, to dominance, to submission. Like she can get whatever she wants if she's confident. Right. And if you're confident too, you can be the player of the year. Like yeah, no doubt. So did you see that VH1? <laughs> that was incredible. I love that. <laughs> so there's this, uh, for the listeners, there's this VH1 Fashion and Music Awards 95. You can pull it up on YouTube. And he does Pussy Control Live. 
And I was watching that the other day again. I'm like, there's no way this gets off the ground today. There's no way. They would have had that 10 second delay on and clipped him 10 seconds in. I don't know. Like, if, look, if we can have WAP, I think we can have pussy control. <laughs> That's what I think. Um, now, here's another thing is, yeah, he's kind of tr- trying to be relevant here. He's got the rap thing going on. But I'll tell you, to make it danceable, to have a groove, to make it singable, memorable, this is one of those songs. Like, you know, if you work with the public like I do, there's times you'd be humming this and you can't really tell people what you're humming, right? Like, it's memorable enough. He's one of the few that can pull something like that off. Yep. What, what's that you're listening to? Uh uh, <laughs> Matt Carney. Uh, I don't know. I don't know who uh, Christian Rock or, or Amy Grant. <laughs> did you? Uh, did you? <laughs> oh wait, you used a promo. I, I think the promo song was Richard Cheese, right? The that yeah. Frank Sinatra version. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I've got this great plan for the intro. Like, I guess if you're a listener, you've already heard it. What I'm going to do is, <laughs> I'm going to play that, and I'm going to do my own uh, NPG operator interlude to this episode. That's a good I've written, idea. I've written it up. It's brilliant. I, I, I put that on for my wife this morning too. She thought, she thought it was hilarious. Like she knows that the song. So she thought that was great. Yeah. And that, um, that Spanish part that Maite is saying in the beginning, it translates to our special presentation will start shortly, but first a message from our sponsors. That's what it translates to. <laughs> that confirms a theory I have to me. So this was the last thing recorded for the album. And you get your first operator interlude after the after this song. This is the music you hear in the lobby before your gold experience. This yeah. is like your little waiting room thing, like waiting room entertainment is pussy control. <laughs> as weird as that sounds. <laughs> and then I am a big fan, and folks that musicians that were inspired by Prince do this a lot. And I call them earworms, and I'm going to bring it up a couple of times on this earworms thing. That little thing like verse two, yeah. right? You don't have to tell people it's verse two. Everybody knows the second verse is coming. But there's something about saying it out loud and leaving it in the recording that makes it an earworm. Yeah. Yeah. It just it becomes a thing. You say it every time then. You don't ignore it. Like, it, it sticks with you. Like, it's the yeah. glue. And, uh, you know, everybody had their own, right? James Brown did the good God, right? Yeah. Or, or um, hey! <laughs> yeah, or uh, what was it? Uh, Joan Jett, uh, uh, right? Sammy Hagar does that a lot. Yeah. It's, it's just there's these earworms that I guess makes them unique. Oh, uh, yeah, totally. Uh, well, what's the word? Like, I, I studied hip-hop vocals when I was at music college. Uh, ad-lib. It's an ad-lib. They, yeah, there you Prince go. has his own ad-lib. So, that's, yeah, that's, I agree with that 100%. Yeah, this song, I love it. It's one of the, it's one of my favorites. Uh, you're, I agree. I don't know that we can make it work now, but <laughs> the classic people, people need to calm down. <laughs> I will tell you, it is an awesome song. I love it, and it still ends up in the middle of the songs of from this album in oh, my know, right? like category because there's so many great songs. I know, right? Especially, yeah. man, this next one, Endorphin Machine.
shit. I, this this is a, one I remember being in the car again, listening to the album, just being the top of my head coming off. This is one of his best rock rock songs. Like, what do we think an endorphin machine is? Even by the way, for starters, like I think it's this weird kind of sex machine that looks like a motorcycle. Um, that's what I imagined it to be. And it, and like a motorcycle, the song is loud. It's ripping. It's everything I love about Prince. And he's screaming so loud, he's clipping the mic at some points. Like that's how high he's singing. It it's one of the older ones. It was on early com- configuration to come too, but. Man, I bet this was a great live track back in the day. The solos had to be a little extended and taken out. And I love the synth, the synth lines. Like, you know, Tommy Bobarella gets a shout out, which is great. He's all over this album. It's one of my top three on the album. Like, it's just perfect. If, if you like Prince and you like rock and roll, this is the perfect song. Uh, I agree with everything you said there. And it still didn't make my top three on this album. Really? <laughs> and I've heard... The best version I've heard is live, and I saw it in 2013 with Third Eye Girl because now it's rock, right? Because they don't have a bunch of synthesizers. It's basically a guitar player. Prince is playing guitar. I got a bass player and drums, and that's it. And it came off so well live in that club. It was amazing. Um, you know, it's the fuzz feel. You got the rock guitar fills. Um I love the pace of the verses, right? So like it speeds up a little bit when the verses come and then it kind of slows back down to change the melody up in the chorus. I love the start stop that he does. He does that in a lot of songs, right? Uh, press one for the money, right? Like that, that kind of yeah. thing. Again, another earworm. And then you get this kind of like rap right before the final choruses. Um, it, this is one of probably the best Prince rock songs that people don't know about. It didn't get played enough. Oh, yeah. Totally. And it should have got played on, really, on rock stations, honestly. I don't know if you've ever seen the video, but he's got this black yeah. top hat on with the roses that would make Slash jealous, right? Even his hat's a little That's bit bigger huge. than Flash's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my hat's bigger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those screams are ridiculous. And then oh when, when he clips a mic and then they shut the music off and he just kind of goes for that three or four seconds it's amazing it really is like especially to hear it in headphones like that's something else that's a trip yeah yeah and that whole um spanish thing at the end translates to prince is dead prince is dead may the power of the new generation live forever so that's what she's saying at the end there so there's several times in this album because really this is the first album that he's trying to like peel away from what Warner Brothers is that he's literally telling you over and over, Prince is dead. Yep, Prince is no more. It's the symbol now. Who, yeah. Who, however, you would say that the artist formerly known as Prince, as most people said. Yeah, that I, I noticed that too. That was the only one I was able to like to have translated for me was the Prince is dead one, and yeah. I always thought that was like it's him saying like this is not a Prince album at this point. This is really not a Prince album, and I'm going to insist on that. yeah and i'm gonna make sure you understand me yeah definitely yeah but he coded it in a message even like the (laughs) album before this come like if if you have the cd still uh there's a like a birth date and a death date for prince on the cd yeah yep and you know that's what i'm saying is when you're living it in the early 90s you're just like really dude i got you Right. Just if you don't like them, just leave. Plus, I don't understand the music business at that point. Right. I'm trying to get into the music business, but I don't really understand 
how the record business works. And I don't know what contracts he's got signed with them, but it was obvious that he was trying to break away. Yeah. He, he didn't want, he didn't want interference. In fact, it, lately I've actually been, I've been getting in, into Neil Young quite a bit and Neil, I feel like has the same thing as Prince. He doesn't want to be controlled by the label and he kind of did the same thing. But in the early eighties, he went on a tear where he did an electronic album and then he did a rockabilly album and then he did a country album and they did, did like a pop thing like all just to kind of mess with his label because he wants total control. He doesn't want to be told what to do. Yeah. But how quickly we forget, right? Just 15 years before that, they let him go in the studio and do whatever he wanted and play all the instruments and come up with his own album. They never let anybody do that. And he was a nobody and they let him do it. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. Those first two, three, four albums, that might've been all him. I think on the, yeah, mostly. Yep. That's crazy. Yeah. And then, yeah, I don't know. I think it comes down to like, just based on my experience in the industry, people want to make money. They don't want to take, take risks. They want the safe route and print. There's nothing safe about prints. And that's just how it is. Right. And if you don't like it, then, well, you shouldn't have signed a contract, I guess. Yep. And (laughs) sometimes you get an album where the first song is nine minutes and there's ASMR uh, kind of lingus noises that, that's that's what you get <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i listened to that thing for like the second time getting ready for this episode i still have trouble with that one like i like loose and let yeah. it go but man that album is hard <laughs> yeah yeah it's like i said he makes it tough sometimes oh man but yeah back to endorphin machine great song it's in my top three i'm curious to see what what you've got what else you've got in your top three man because uh i thought that one would be high for you especially because growing up rock <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, I love rock. There's no doubt. Um, but like I said, Prince is my number one artist and I love Motown and I love funk. So, uh, you know, it's not just all rock for me for sure. All right. Awesome. Well, let's bring it down a bit. Time for a slow jam. Love 
This song is uh, it was originally given to Tevin Campbell. Uh, Prince, you know, gave it to him under a pseudonym. Like the pseudonym was Paisley Park, and it's a really sexual song. I'm surprised he gave this to Tevin. Like for those that don't know Tevin Campbell, Prince wrote him a song called "Round and Round" that was on the Graffiti Bridge soundtrack. Go check that out. Like he's like a kid on that. And then this one, you know, like I'd rather do you after school, like some homework, or, and talking about doing it in the kitchen. Like this is a really dirty song to give to a kid so i'm kind of surprised he did that and tevin was 18 years old when he released it oh was he okay i thought he was was still like a kid at 18 i mean i can't imagine my 20 year old singing it right now i can tell you that right now (laughs) right so even at 18 tevin does a good job with it but it's just really he couldn't sell the sex of it he tried to sell the romance of it he you know, I kind of mentioned to you, we did it like Johnny Gill would do it or, or, you know, Ralph would do it from new, new edition. Like he was trying to give it an R and B feel and he kind of lost the sexy funk feel of it. That doesn't have the funk guitar with it. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I'm honestly, uh, sorry if this makes you feel old. I don't know who Johnny Gill is, but my comparison, when I was doing my comparison was Jodeci. Like oh, it yeah. really became like a, like a slow jam, like nineties R and B thing. Yeah. as composed like this is like prince taking like what he would normally do with us i think like a song like insatiable or scandalous turning up the guitars and making it even bigger yeah no doubt and you know leave it to prince to have michael b start out with this drum intro and the so- song's label shh you think you're about to get your head ripped off and then yeah. you go into a ballad right so um <laughs> now I'm a little, you're going to have to help me with, you got to remember, I've been listening to this for 20 some odd years now. So if you do it in the bedroom, you'd have to stop. But after everybody's asleep, you can do it on the kitchen counter, but you don't have to stop. I'm a little confused. That is, that is a valid question. Why? Is everybody locked in their rooms? Like there's no risk then? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little uh, weird about that. Now, for all the times that I've said already that he makes it tough for you to be a fan because he's changing a lot of things up in his music. One thing he did consistently do is there's always a repeatable chorus. He's figured out that no matter what, how long that chorus is, even if it's going to be a line or two, if it's just going to be this weird sample thing, whatever the chorus is going to be, that it's got to be repeatable and memorable um, and singable at times. So people will at least know that part of the song, no matter how much the rest of the stuff gets weird. Exactly. Yeah. Even if like, honestly, this is probably one of my lesser cuts on the album. It still sticks in my brain. I still look forward to it when it comes around. And like you said, that fill is great. Yeah. He, he knows how to write a hook and none of these songs are hookless. And I think the end of the song is where it makes it for me. Cause there's this, you kind of build to the guitar solo. Then you kind of go to this smooth end, which to me, that delicate touch kind of comes from an experienced you know musician and then the whispering at the end sex is not all i think about it's just all that i think about you that doesn't sound very nice at the end that's kind of no. mean i always thought that i was i was like i was like you you, you you've done this like romantic ballad and then you say that like <laughs> god what does she mean to you then 
yeah, it's it's a great song though. I really like, and it was seven minutes. And normally, I'm not into like seven minute songs, but it went by so fast. Yeah, totally. And honestly, I don't know that the length is the issue with it for me. I think it's the placement. I kind of wish it was later in the album. Yeah, I think part of what my issue there with the song, but other, like you said, it's still a great song. No, regardless of that and that guitar solo to me that's his love of santana coming out that makes complete sense yeah definitely yeah overall great track just kind of in the lower tier still listenable not skippable for sure uh up next we get to to me this is the most relevant song on the album right now and that's we march some kind of boost last year with everything that went on with George Floyd and everything because it's a very it's a very important message type song like that it just hits really hard and it's if we want change we have to stand up and fight for it uh, musically the keys are cool again and you've got a little bit of guitar in the mix but it's a little more hip-hoppy a little more funky um, I feel like if gold experience ever gets like the reissue deluxe treatment like in the near future this track is going to be spotlighted somehow because it's still super super relevant for a song that came out like over 20 years ago yeah to me uh i disagree a bit like this about half the song i love and about half the song i don't and the half the song that i don't love is that the message really doesn't fit the musicianship right he's trying to almost have this black lives matter type message in a upbeat almost song right like there's almost too many things going on like you almost had to strip it back if you wanted to, to be more serious to me yeah um and you know the lyrics absolutely work there's no doubt but then he starts doing like funner things like at the end the last two lines say the fun don't stop the bacon that's when the money is going to stop shaking is he making fun of the police is the bacon the police or is the bacon money? Like, I'm confused. I didn't even catch that line. Wow. 
right? So it's like most, I guess, straight ahead protest, come together, stand as one. We are important. They don't confuse you. They're not confusing messages. They're straight ahead messages. And this one technically to me isn't. I really like the song though, but if he was going for what was to be the future of Black Lives Matter, he missed. I, I, I see where you're coming from in a way. And I do think he did this type of song better, I think, with a song called Baltimore on Hit and Run Phase 2. Yeah. I think he does it a little better there. But yeah. it was interesting, like, I don't know, to me revisiting the album. Like, this one, again, not that I don't like it. It is one of the lesser tracks on the album for me. It's just revisiting it, and I really paid attention to it this time. Uh, it just kind of hit me like, huh. Yeah, this, this song kind of feels right right now. And then, you know, there's people out there that love to go, hey, that kind of sounds like blah, blah, blah. And that kind of sounds like blah, blah, blah. So I don't usually listen to the song much. So the other day I'm listening to it and uh, about the 120 timestamp, he starts doing some things. And for some reason, I started hearing I Want Your Sex by George Michael. Right. And I'm like, the hell? Wait a second. That song seven years earlier. So I go to listen to George Michael. If you clip from about 120 to 140 of We March, and then you listen to it from about 142 to 155 of I Want Your Sex, you start hearing some of the similarities. There's a little bit of the vocal phrasing, and it's a little bit of the beat. I don't know if you heard that at all. Yeah, I I checked that out. You texted me, and I, I checked out both songs side by side. And I think I'm going to do that little like deeper, like analysis you just kind of did. Yeah. The, the one thing that I caught was maybe a little bit of the melody, but mostly I really caught it in the beat. I thought it sounded pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just a little bit of the vocal phrasing of how Prince said some of the words and that's not, uh, abnormal for Prince, right? There, you know, there's stories that he called, uh, Steve Perry and Jonathan Kane and said, Oh, I accidentally ripped off. Don't stop believing or whatever, you know? So that's not, uh, he was listening to other people's music. There was no doubt about that. Totally. Yeah. No, he, I think we all absorb something through mitosis when we, yeah. you know, like whether we're doing podcasts or music or writing or whatever, we all take in what's around us a little bit and it comes out in certain ways. And definitely who knows, maybe he could have like caught some George Michael on the radio. I'm like, Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> and then later in the studio, it just kind of comes out. Yeah. That's how it is. Yeah, cool song though, but yeah, I think we're both in agreement. It's probably on the lower part of your list too, I'm going to guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Next, we're going to move on to the album's biggest hit, which came out like a year before the album came out even. Uh, Most Beautiful Girl in the World.
technically this is i don't know if i counted as the first single or not because it had like a beautiful experience like single release type thing and it was out before come even came out um but it was still the biggest hit to come from this this record um and it was this final top 40 hit like we were talking about it's another great prince love song it's just beautiful it's not just a love song to one woman it's a love song i think to all women in a way and the music video makes it feel like that to me um it's kind of on the verge of becoming a bit of a lost classic too like it's not on spotify there's a lawsuit going on um between the like i think probably the estate now and these uh i think irish writers of their own song that think prince lifted from that's their song great most beautiful girl in the world um i've never listened to hear it but because of that, the song's not, you know, in, available in the streaming age. Yeah. So, uh, Italian so, uh, guys, uh, Italian guys. <laughs> Bruno Berganzi and Michelle Visson, I guess they co-wrote this song called take me to paradise. I listened to it the other day. Um, princess's song is slower and it does have hints. It does have hints of, uh, some plagiarism happening there, especially in the chorus vocal melody. There's, there's, there's some stuff there. Um, I love this song because it's very stylistics, Delphonics, right? That controlled power falsetto yeah. is, I've not heard very many people in my lifetime do it really, really well. And um, to be able to do that and then even get higher, like, like having a higher falsetto, that just sounds stupid to even say. Right. But then right. he's got this power falsetto and then he's got this higher falsetto that he's hitting, which is just amazing to me. Um, I wish this lawsuit thing would get over with because if Bruno Mars or Justin Timberlake came and did this song right now, it would be a number one hit again. Absolutely. 150%. Right. And it would bring people back to because it wasn't a number one hit when it released. I don't know if you know the two songs that stopped it, by the way. May 14th, 94. Had to go look it up. It topped out at number three. Number two was Bump and Grind by R. Kelly. <laughs> and number one was The Sign by Ace of Bass. Uh, he can, oh, come he, on. He couldn't get oh. past those two songs. <laughs> uh, oh, that makes me sad. Especially the R. Kelly one. Uh. <laughs> oh, that hurts. <laughs> and I think even the video... If you haven't seen the video in a while, it's great. Yeah. It's about basically all women have beauty, right? doesn't matter if it's young or old or grandma or a mom or single or hooker or whatever it is, right? He's just kind of putting everybody in that everybody is beautiful at some point and there's something beautiful about him. I think it's great. I think the stories about Warner brothers thought this thing was going to be a flop. That's why they let him release it without him. And then it became <laughs> an international hit. And I think they were all, oh, oh, we're in trouble. Shit, we can't let him go now. He knows what he's doing. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're in big trouble. They actually, at one point, when Prince submitted Come to Them, they rejected it and said, we want Most Beautiful Girl in the World and more rock tracks on the album. And he wouldn't give them that. He gave them the configuration of Come We Got with a nine-minute version of Come <laughs> inst instead of Most Beautiful Girl in the World. And they, and they were just like, oh, all right. Yeah, I, I love this song. It's one of my top three. Uh, there's no doubt this. Um, it's not played enough, and this lawsuit thing is really hurting it right now on streaming. That's yeah, too bad. I agree. And it's also, like, 
this is an album I'd really like to see get the same treatment Sign of the Times got. I don't know if it ever will because maybe it's not technically big enough for that, unfortunately, but there's so much material from this era that I'd love this album to get that kind of deluxe treatment and like get everything in one place like Strays of the World and Days of the Wild. All those other songs are just kind of floating out there. Rock and Roll is Alive and Lives in Minneapolis. Like there's these extra songs just kind of floating in the ether sphere from this era and it'd be great to have it all in one place. Yeah, the tough part's going to be and possibly that's what they're working out right now. They're going to re-release the Gold Experience without the most beautiful girl in the world because they don't want to pay these Italian dudes a bunch of money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so what are they going to do? Cross that off the list or what? Well, I mean, I don't, that's going to be tough. Yeah, who knows? That's a tough one. I'm surprised like they're like just being in the industry, there hasn't been some kind of like payout agreed on for that one yet. I must really want to really, really want something they're not getting. And I don't know what that is. So that's interesting to me. Yeah. The issue is the unknown, right? That, that nobody really knows how much is in the vault. Nobody really knows what it's worth. Nobody really knows what the Prince estate's going to do with it. Nobody really knows who owns the Prince estate. That's still starting to get worked out. Right. So there's all these unknowns. And if I guess, if I have a stake in some of the music that is connected to that entity, I don't want it to be figured out. And a Sony comes over the top or some conglomerate comes over the top and says, we'll just buy it all for X amount of million dollars. And I could have made my bones out of it. So you got to be careful what you negotiate to, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. But Stone Cold Classic. And I think maybe you're right. I think maybe the song will see like the light of day again. It'll maybe see some kind of second wind because it certainly didn't get it. I don't think when he died because like, like you said, not on streaming services. So yeah, maybe we'll see a resurgence for this one. Um, but let's move on to another one of my, another song I love on this album and adore. And that's a uh, dolphin. How beautiful do the words have to be Before they conquer every heart How will you know if I'm even in the right key If you make me stop before I start first on um that undertaker home video release um it's a song about to me like to me at least it's about prince fighting with his label um saying look you don't listen to me what can i do to make you listen like what can i do to make you understand and you know well like and for some reason his metaphor is if i came back as a dolphin would you listen to me kind of strange but 
catchy as hell. And I love that watery guitar effect. Um, I like to play this song for people who don't know Rock and Roll Prince. It's such a catchy little strange song in his catalog. Uh, yeah, I love this one. Originally meant for Come as well. Uh, it was on like one of the first two configurations of that one. And uh, to me, the earworm in this one is that I'll come back again as yeah. a dolphin. Great hook. Yeah. There's no doubt in my mind that this is about the record company executives because just those two lines how you know if i'm in the right key if you make me stop before i start right so right out of the gate you kind of get an idea of okay he's talking about this dolphin and cutting off my fins and you know but i'm not going to bend etc cetera, etc cetera. he has to be talking about the record company but this is a good example of you thought you were going to get a ballad and then in 30 seconds you got a disney movie like it's so <laughs> weird, right? He kind of gets you in one place and you're kind of settling down and then he takes you to another place. And if, if you're like me and Prince really can't do any wrong, then you're just kind of used to that all the time, no matter when it comes up. But if you're trying to work out or make out, depending on what music <laughs> you want to listen to, right? This it's hard to do it with, Prince songs, unless you know them really well. Yeah, you, you kind of got to build your own Prince playlist for makeouts. You can't just let it <laughs> run wild. Next thing, next thing you know, something like, like I don't, I don't know, like Housewake comes on and it gets weird all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know, I love that he shows off his guitar skills. There's another great guitar solo. Obviously, the video's interesting, right? Because it's basically one. It's it feels like it was shot with an iPhone. Obviously, it's 1995. It wasn't, but feels like it. That's what it would look like right now. And there's times where he's playing the guitar part, and there's times where he's not, which is a little weird. Um, but it's at least it looked fun. But then again, he's got the slave thing written on his face, which is a little interesting. I'm not sure he would get away with that today. I don't. I don't think his fans would be okay with that today. Yeah, I. I, I don't know if we could get into that that too much, but uh... yeah. It, it's it's interesting to think. I, you wonder what would fly now that doesn't yeah. any, that wouldn't anymore. Yeah, I think he was pushing the boundaries all the time, and I would say over the last ten years, well, the last six years of his life, let's say, he went kind of into a more rock and funk type of place than yeah. trying to push the the avenue because he was with Third Eye Girl and they were doing their thing, right? So he was kind of almost enjoying the fruits of his career, I guess, as best as he could. Yeah. It, it, it seems like it's almost eerie in a way. Like he kind of went back to the two things where he started, he started very much rock and very much funk. Like those first, those early albums, like the self-titled one for you yeah. controversy, dirty mind. Those are kind of like the two main musical flavors in those records. So it's kind of eerie in a way. Yeah, definitely. But uh, this dolphin song, man, it does swim around your head. That's not a pun intended, but it does uh, kind of swim in there. Yeah, it does definitely. Overall, I think probably, yeah this this is uh, this is also in my top three. I, I really dig this one. Um, yeah, just a great song. I, I love playing this for people. And one last thing on the video, I always thought when I saw it, huh? So this is when he started filming at Paisley Park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not exactly big budget, that's for sure. Yeah, no, um, cream. This ain't. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But yeah, great song. Uh, moving on, uh, I feel like 
with the next song is called Now. I feel like New Jack Prince isn't dead. He's back. <laughs> now! flavored it really sticks out amongst the rest of these songs are very like rock flavored in my opinion um both the intro and the song itself are very uh hip-hop flavored like reminds me of the max i think was the, was the song i was thinking of it's grown on me it used to be kind of lower on my list but it kind of grew on me getting ready for the episode it's like this album's get off and there's some great you know one-liners in there don't worry about my name it's too long to remember i could tell you here but we'd be here till next september like, you know, he's talking about, you know, he's got a new name now. So, you know, don't push me on it. Or uh, she's the new hero because she's so divine, unaffected by the system. She'd rather die than write a rap for some big booty heifer getting by on what booty instead of just doing duty. Like just the stuff he comes up with is in, in this thing is great. I love it. I bet this was great live. Not a favorite, but a fun song. It's interesting that you mentioned Get Off and Now uh, at the same time. Get Off is my favorite Prince song. Really? This is could be one of the worst five for me. <laughs> and and there's a major difference to me one is i understand what he's talking about and get off after 25 years i still don't know what the hell this song is about it just seems like a bunch of stuff that he wrote down and put to house party music that was popular in the mid 90s right yeah. and you know even the mpg operator says well it's kind of like housequake or irresistible bitch or sexy mf I'll take sexy MF over this song any day of the week. <laughs> to me, the two are not even alike. So it's a dance party track. It's still Prince. There's nothing wrong with it. It just, it doesn't exactly have this super duper message. And it, it's basically just a party. It doesn't connect any other way. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fun. There's no real deep meaning here. This is not a, we March type song. This is a, yeah. This is just fun. This is just him like throwing a party. Like I, to me, this is like one of those songs that was probably like he played it live and it became one of those things he extended and there were solos and crowd interactions and stuff like that. It's for that. That's what I think the song's for. And the vocal melody is almost uncontrollable, right? So aggressive, so raw. He's kind of in and out of key on purpose at times, right? It's just like there's this, I just need to get this out of my system before we get to the last few songs on this album, I got to just, all this stuff was in my head. I got to get it out and put it down. That, that's kind of what it felt, felt feels like to me. Right. Yeah. I have a question for you real quick. So in preparing for this, there's another song that was floating around at this time. And it was actually proposed for the track list of this album at one point, but didn't make it. And that's days of the wild, which I like a lot better than this song. Do you think that would have been a better fit here than now? Definitely. I would have took an acknowledge me too. 
to oh, be yeah. honest, right? Because I, I like those two songs better than this one. Yeah. I haven't heard Acknowledge Me, but I've heard Days of the Wild. Is Acknowledge Me on, is that on Crystal Ball? It is. Okay, yeah, that's that's the one, the main album I still haven't heard yet. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm not good with, I, I, I just, I should just stream it. It's there, I should just stream it, but I want a physical <laughs> copy of it so badly. <laughs> You're a little old school with that. I am so old school, dude. I don't even have a Spotify account. I have. Oh my for, god! I have one. I have it for work. I don't. It's not a paid one. I use it. Everything I listen to is either physical, like this CD here, or I have a jailbroken iPod that has thirty thousand songs on it. Yeah. That's what I listen to. Like it's. I. I am the worst millennial ever. <laughs> we. I didn't have a Spotify account for the longest time either. And then um, when we started the podcast up. I got a Spotify account just so we could make playlists for people, right? If they wanted to hear kind of what we were listening to when we did the episode, but then I have teenagers. Ah. So I went and got the family account for like 1499 a month or whatever. You would have thought I handed these guys gold bars. They were <laughs> so happy not to get the commercials anymore. And my God, I don't know how anybody lives without Spotify right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm just some kind of crazy, like control freak <laughs> person that has to like, now I got to have the CD and I got to rip it to my laptop over there. That's my music laptop. And then I put it on the iPod and I put it on the phone if I want to. And that's what I do. I probably made it very hard for myself, but oh well. <laughs> what I do now is I'll still buy physical product of my favorite bands. There's yeah. no doubt about that. But for some of the bands that I uh, kind of casually listen to, Spotify is the way to go. And even for my favorite bands, I'll go to their websites and try to get the money to them directly so they don't have to get it through a record company or whatever, right? And yeah. sometimes you can get stuff signed and all that, but then I'll still listen to their music through Spotify. That's 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 cool. I like that. I like that you're yeah. still trying to get something to them. So that, that's yeah. good. Yeah. All right. But yeah. Now I think we're kind of in, in agreement. I enjoy it. You really don't. Uh, but I think we'd both rather have something else here. Oh, yeah, definitely. Especially like revisiting Days of the Wild this morning. I put that on while I was getting ready, like after my shower stuff. And I was like, oh, this is great. Why isn't this on the album? <laughs> and there was, I mean, Angie was floating around at this point, Space, Strength, The Jam. Like there's all these songs that easily could have been on here instead of this. I want to hear that Angie cover, by the, by the way. I haven't heard that yet. I wonder if that's floating around on YouTube because I love, that's one of my favorite Stones ballads. So I'd love to hear his take on that. Yeah, my guess it's on YouTube probably. I, I have it, so that's why I listen to it the way I had it. Again, you got to bring that hard drive <laughs> with you, man. <laughs> you I don't, don't even remember where I got it, to be honest with you. Because I go probably similar to you. If I get into a band, man, I am deep. And I want all the tentacles. I want the entire spider web. I don't care if it was you did a song with Sheena Easton's sister in the kitchen and it never made it anywhere. Like, I want that one too. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm, the, I'm, I'm totally that way with certain artists. I'm turning into that with Neil Young right now, actually. I'm slowly like trying to like wait. There's like all these extra ancillary records out there to get to. Yeah. Okay, I need to make space in this office. <laughs> yeah. All right. But next, I'm moving on to next up. I'd be surprised if you don't like this one. 319. This song is damn sexy. This song is hot. 319.
photo shoot song that's all it really is about um it's built on big drums crunchy guitar synth bass and it was in the movie showgirls and uh prince or prince gets some great one-liners in this one you know you ever kissed a woman on the dance floor can i see it baby you know i think this is definitely him singing to my tay like this song is just woo like you know you know you know fan afterwards jesus christ yeah it did make my top three um and the reason is is because i think there's like nine songs on this album that are just stellar. And this is one of them. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, that movie sucked, by the way. Have you ever seen that movie? <laughs> I have. I actually really oh enjoyed my God. it. But that I'm movie. Never, oh. I'm, my brain might be fogged by tits. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, mine usually is too, but that movie is brutal. Um, and, you know, people are saying, well, there was talk about that Elizabeth Berkeley was, you know, the – um the inspiration of the song for all we know he's talking about darling nikki like you don't know who he's talking about to be honest right? right song has single potential though right this is guitar rock the production's crisp dance track it even's got the little robert palmer simply irresistible type feel to it um yeah. i love it and oh lyrical gold i uh, i got a good shot put your leg on the chair you know you're too hot when you play with your hair, like it's just, uh, there's, and I don't even know how long it took him to write something like this, but I love songs like this because there's this weird kind of sensual story behind the scenes that you can kind of picture it happening as he's singing this very danceable track. So it is a great song. Right. It's a great mind movie song. I totally agree. Yeah. And honestly, I don't know if he ever really did another song like this ever again. Like he did songs that were kind of sexy after this, but I feel like this is where like the really dirty, aggressive, like darling Nikki X sex song songs end. Like they kind of end with this album. Yeah. And I think uh, part of it is he's mad. So it's just everything that's going to push the envelope is coming out. And then after this, he breaks away. Yep. So really, he doesn't have to do that anymore if he doesn't want to. It's almost like he got over it. Yeah, that's true. Because right. honestly, the album after this, like I haven't spent much time with it. I have um, Emancipation and I've listened to it through a few times. It's just hard because it's three discs. Uh, it's something you really got to break up. But it, I don't feel the same fire on that album I do this one. It's not as urgent. Yeah, and he went a little... Um you could almost say underground, right? Cause then crystal ball comes out, then rave on two, the new, you know, century starts. He does some things. Not a lot of people have heard. Right. So it kind of almost sticks his head in the sand until he pops up at mu musicology in 2003. So there's this almost, he's still touring and everything, but he's not all over the charts and all over the radio. His classic stuff is, but none of his new stuff is making it. Yeah, none of it's really sticking, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah it, it, it definitely got weird after this. If it wasn't weird enough before, it got weirder after <laughs> this, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. But man, 319, great song. Um, this was this this was a this was part of the gold experience tour. This was probably a great live song too. Um, but I think it ended up as part of a medley though, because I think by the time that tour started, he was 
again, he was over this music already. And yeah, I didn't see this tour. I saw him in 98. He was already on New Power Soul, and they, yeah. they only did like six dates, and I got to I got to see one of them in the U.S. Because um, I've only seen him four times. So I'm in 88, 93, 98, and 2013. Part of that reason, there's a couple of reasons. One is he was touring a lot when I was in my early 20s, and, you know, cash is hard to come by sometimes, yeah. right? So it's, it's tough to uh, sometimes see some of those shows. And then second, and he did this a lot, and I don't know if he just did this in the big cities, he would say, uh, oh, yeah, tickets go on sale 10 minutes ago. And then he would sell out before everybody would know what the hell was going on. Yeah. And then yeah. he'd be in the Coliseum three days later. And it's like, really? Dude, like, you got to give me more than three days notice if you're coming. I got a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always imagine that being frustrated. Like, he called those hit and run shows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like, it's like, I, it takes enough work to plan a concert in the before times. Like, can you imagine that now? Like, yeah, I know. No. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, you know, somebody else already has the back line there. Who knows who plays there the night before? Yeah, I'll just use the same back line. I got my dancers and my guitars. Don't worry about it. Michael B. just used the drum set. Doesn't matter. Yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, so I wish, I, I, like all that to say, I still wish I was a fan sooner because I really would have loved to see him live. I, I think that would have been just an incredible experience. Like I've seen some DVDs. I have the Raven to the year 2000. I have the one that's in the sign of the times box i have the one that's in the deluxe 1999 the one that came with purple rain but i don't think any of it is really gonna measure up to actually being in the room and feel feeling the energy oh in 2013 i'm telling you i saw him in a club called the dna lounge in san francisco 800 people Ooh. okay that club maybe holds 600 so we were in there pretty tight so tight that I tell the story. I went with my best friend. And so you had to buy the tickets, no hard copy tickets. You had to show the credit card and your ID at the door to get in. So you couldn't sell the tickets to anybody. Well, the tickets were uber expensive, uh, 250 bucks a pop. Like these were not cheap tickets. Okay. He didn't sell a piece of liquor. He did not sell a piece of merchandise. You could get bottled water. And then you were in there so tight that my arms, right, were pinned up against me. Oh. And about the third or fourth song, I don't know, somebody must have took a breath. And, you know, it opened up a little. So I got my arms up to stretch, and then it all sunk back in. So now my arms were up here. <laughs> and I couldn't get them down for two, three songs. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that was a mistake. <laughs> and he played two and a half hours. It was him, Third Eyed Girl. He did his own mixing. He had the mixing board right there. He would just say, hold on, and go and start missing a mess with the mixing and come back. <laughs> um, he did a medley on the piano by himself of a bunch of his hits. Played two and a half hours at 7 o'clock to 9.30, then did it again from 10 o'clock to 2.30 on the wow. same night. And did that on back-to-back -back nights. And then supposedly gave the money to Oakland's Children's Hospital for he left. I mean, like, what do you say to that? Like, that's that's just incredible. The man's got a heart. Of, the man had a heart of gold, obviously. I mean, and just he did it because he could. He knew he would draw the people. The people would come, and yeah, he give he doesn't give you anything less than your money's worth. That's for damn sure. 
Because I don't know if you were surprised, but, you know, he passes away. People start talking about how much his estate is worth. And the number 300 million started getting thrown around. And I remember thinking, I get it. $300 million is a lot of money, but that's it? All that stuff he sold, all the stuff he wrote, all of his publishing rights, the movies, $300 million? Did yeah. he give a bunch of it away? I think so. Yeah, it, it, like, it came out that he was very charitable at the, after yeah. that, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I, I, I would have killed to be at that show, though. Even if, like now, if, it, if someone told me that was what it was going to be, I'd be like, I'll, I'll go without my wife because she'd be tortured by it, but I will go <laughs> myself and be packed into the room and witness the incredible like aura that is Prince. Yeah, best show I've ever seen. I've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shows in my life. Easily the best show I've ever seen. It was in a club. Nice. How was the new Power Soul show, though? That one's fascinating. That's such a, such a weird era. Yeah, it was uh, a little bit all over the place. Um, no doubt about that. It was also at uh, the Concord Pavilion, which is an outdoor stadium. Mm. And not it's like an outdoor uh, arena theater kind of thing um, with grass seating and blah, blah, blah. The other two times before that that I'd seen him was in the Civic Center in San Francisco and at the Coliseum in Oakland. When he's indoors, it seems like the energy is a little more bottled. Yeah. And this, this uh, Concord Pavilion, which I've seen tons of bands there, you know, especially rock bands, because that's where they all play. Um, you know, I saw Rod Stewart kick soccer balls onto the grass at that show, you know, at a show. <laughs> like, And that whole, that arena was trying to encompass this sound that it just didn't come off. The energy was just not the same. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I'm trying to find... I'm trying to find, like, I've got the Prince vault up in front of me. There it is, Concord Pavilion. Yeah. Okay, so you, you had a good set list, though. Pur Open with Purple Rain, Little Red Corvette, I'd Die for You, Jingo Baloba, some kind of instrumental, Never Take the Place of Your Man. Uh, yep, the Christ, that he's he's gone Jehovah's Witness at this point. Yeah, that's right. The One, That'll Work, Come On, Ain't No Way, Nothing Compares to You, Take Me With You in Raspberry Beret. Not bad. Not no. bad. And I think, you know, when you see that there was only like six or seven U.S. dates, it might have been he was using it as rehearsal. Yeah, because there was a bigger European tour. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm always fascinated by set lists on like weirder niche tours like that because the more known ones, like, you know what the Purple Rain set list is by yeah. now. But these weird ones, I'm always like, ooh, what did he bust out? Was this a deep cut time? Was he playing hits? What's going on? Yeah, yeah. And I don't think he cared whether people wanted to hear the hits or not. Whatever. Yeah, I'm just going to play what I want. That's, That's right. what Prince did. All right. All right, that was a fun off-ramp. Um, let's jump into a really serious song, Shy. After a month of just being alone, he said I wonder what L.A.'s thinking Streets are roamed in search of a poem Amongst the wild and drinking When he sees cool dark skin and hot virgin white The search was over at least for tonight When she co-signed and told him she was Shine, cool 
dark skin and hot virgin white Shine Lips ain't warm but her body's ain't might Shine Looks like we're gonna take the long way home tonight Oh baby This is a unique sounding one. Nothing else on the album sounds like this. In fact, this probably would have fit on tr The Truth, I think, is his acoustic album. Um, it's kind of like a sign of the times type message song. It's a song about a girl in an inner city gang. It's very stripped back musically. It's mostly acoustic guitar with a little bit of tambourine. Um, the guitar sounds it's like, like it's finger picked. And I know he was a Fleetwood Mac fan. So it's kind of like a, got a bit of a Lindsey Buckingham vibe to me. Um, it's a little out of place among some of these songs, but it's so unique sounding. I always love it when it comes up. Yeah, completely stripped down, especially after all of the stuff going on in all of the other songs. This is one of those albums that if you listen to these other songs that we've been talking about several times over, a couple of days apart, you will pick up new things. Is that just some guy sitting in a chair going, ah, ah. Ah, ah, like that's a track yeah. that he just kind of puts in there. Right. So there's so much going on. So when you strip it down like this, it sticks out like a sore thumb. I really like it. I like the song. I like the strip down. I run into this woman. I'm running the other way. The story is a little odd, right? This whole thing yeah. about an initiation and I had to murder somebody as part of my initiation, but it's not really a believable story. So it's like she's trying to get some sort of street cred. It's almost like he was trying to write the next movie that as he was writing it going, oh yeah, this movie doesn't sound good. Let me just put it in the song. I, I don't know. <laughs> this coming, coming in 1996, the sequel to Under the Cherry Moon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shy. <laughs> I, I know you love that movie. That movie's I a little do. rough for me. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's a little rough for me. I get, I, I get that. I, I understand. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm just something about that movie is just endearing to me. There's some funny stuff in it. I love the whole Rekastor thing, and when he catches like the, like he goes to the one lady's place and her husband is there, <laughs> and he like yeah. put a pillow under her ass, cuz, and stroke her a few times for me. She like that, <laughs> and he like drives off. But this song's a good example of what we were kind of talking about before. Is no, no matter how weird the lyrics get. No matter how weird the storyline gets, and no matter if it's stripped down or not, right back to a chorus that's memorable, right? Shy, cool, dark skin, and heart, hot virgin white. Shy lips say won't, but her body say might. Shy looks like we're going to take the long way home tonight. Like, And he says it probably about, I think, five or six times during the song, yep. and that's the part that hooks you and keeps you. Yep, that little wavy shy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so... I, I like the song overall, but the story's a bit weird. Yeah. Yeah. I've still not been able to fully wrap my head around it. Like, like you said, is she, she faking it? Is she really being jumped into this gang? You know, it's, it's a weird one. That's for sure. Maybe it was a sequel to girl six. <laughs> yeah. Who? Oh God. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't seen the movie. I've just heard Ooh, the soundtrack, so I don't I, know. That movie wasn't much better than under the cherry moon, to be honest. <laughs> The soundtrack's kind of fun, though. I love it Count is. the Days. I love Count the Days. That song yeah. is so great. Yeah, it is. Definitely. Uh, let's move on to another I love this fucking song. 
Billy Jack bitch. Billy Jack bitch. Billy Jack of a lioness bitch this is just a straight up funk rave up to me this is the house quake or the irresistible bitch of the album or dmsr it's it's just super super fun super super jammy this is a band song you've got an organ solo a guitar solo um it's supposed to be a song about some critic that was writing negative things about him in minneapolis her name is cj in fact at one point in the song he says you know cj billy jack bitch um it's just so goddamn catchy and so so fun like this is the party song to me and it's funny it seems like at the end of the song the the npg operator kind of starts to like glitch a bit well i i've got a theory on that we'll talk about that in a second so yeah this is what we were talking about when prince is pissed off his best stuff comes out and this cheryl johnson chick for uh the i think it was a a minneapolis some minneapolis newspaper kept nicknaming him cymbalina and blah 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 and just talking to crap right in his hometown of all places um i think it's interesting that even though you can tell that the song is about her he says like joy it's in the dictionary cj billy jack bitch right now does he mean cj for joy or does he mean cj cheryl johnson right? Like he's kind of tricking that up a little. And I think what the operator is doing is because she's glitching a little, it's like, she's trying to get, she's almost telling you, okay, Prince has made his point. Go ahead and just choose another experience. Prince is a little bit pissed off right now. Just go ahead and choose another experience. (laughs) Go ahead. Right. And then the last line, which is interesting. And it depends on when you grew up. So y'all some tight motherfuckers, right? Now, most people would look at that and go, okay, well, he's talking about that the band's really tight. But in the 80s and 90s, early 90s, tight meant that you were giving somebody else heartache, right? That you were being bitchy at somebody. That's what tight meant. So is that what he means? It's like, you guys are just talking shit about it. You guys are kind of mean, right? So there's a double entendre there that unless you are grew up in the 80s and tight meant that you were kind of being bitchy to somebody, you wouldn't understand that. That's true. I love that. That's great. It works both ways then. That's yeah. so fucking cool. I love it. <laughs> wow. And, and it makes sense too. It makes the, like the next, the fact the song will get to a little bit even more interesting. That's right. Because of, of your theory about the whole operator thing being like, okay, you know, let's move on. Nothing to see here. <laughs> He's going off again. You know, it, 
it's Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I love this song. It's my second favorite on the album. But uh, I, this is the one to me that's closest to get off. And dude, that that fishbone clip. Oh my god! Lying piece of sack of shit, slut, trash can, scummiest dirt bag, bitch, bitch. <laughs> For I love the sample, but the fishbone clip. It's like about uh, probably about five to six seconds at the end of lion ass bitch, where he just goes off on this lady. Stinky ass, lying ass bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, great song. Always love this song. Oh yeah, totally. This was great. Also, shout out to Christopher Titus. This I remember dancing to this at the Prince party he had in his studio, and uh, I was dancing so fast my phone flew out of my pocket and whizzed across the room. <laughs> <laughs> Just a weird little memory I have of that night. That was that was a lot of fun. Awesome. Cool. So let's uh, let's jump into the hate experience with I Hate You. You have just accessed the hate experience. Do you wish to change your entry? Very well. Please enjoy your experience. Prince's most brilliant and funniest songs I think it's it's a heartbreak song but you're still in love with the person and there's the, that beautiful falsetto we're talking about comes back again and then we've got the whole court session thing going on I love that part I think it's so funny I love that the defendant's name is Billy Jack Pitch because <laughs> you know all right we're playing into like there's kind of a sequel to the previous song here and even the operator's like, are you sure you want to access the hate experience? And then there's a button push and she's like, very well, enjoy your experience. <laughs> and I definitely do. It's this really weird, angry, sexy, slow jam. Um, it was a single, actually. It has a music video and everything. This, this song is great. It's one of those, like, I think it's one of his funniest songs. It's just great. It puts a smile on my face. Yeah, if you think about the two singles, right? The, mut- the Most Beautiful Girl in the World, although it comes out way before the album comes out. And then this song, there couldn't be a bigger difference, right? It's yeah. both sides of the argument. And you you get a artistic, creative person that can craft a song around the love and hate of a relationship, then usually those songs are home runs to me. Yeah. Because they, no matter what, they'll touch everybody because everybody's been through that in their own way. And then to, on the video 
uh, you know, the band is blindfolded. So you're kind of going with the love is blind. Right. But then you're also going with the justice is blind. Right. So it kind of plays off both things. Supposedly this song was inspired by Carmen Electra. Right. Because they dated for a while. Not too sure about that. And this whole thing about these arguments kind of being resolved in public in a courtroom um, is just kind of shows you that thin line between love and hate. This is why I know you're newly married. This is why makeup sex is so good because (laughs) there's such a thin line between love and hate that you can love a person so much and they can piss you off so bad. And then the makeup is so great. Like that's, it makes the song. And I love that. You know, because even in the inner sleeve, I think it says something about, um, let's see if I remember it here, uh, hate versus love, no contest, love will always win, love God, love life, love sexy, peace and be wild, right? So the the whole thing is supposed to be about love, and I think that's why the operator, just like you said, is giving you a, hey, uh, we're going to go to a new place here, so if you want out, you might want to just kind of skip the track. Right <laughs> now, now, now's the time. This look, you can get off here, or we can go to the more pleasant that's coming up. No, all right, we'll stick around. We'll see you. We'll see you for the gold experience. So, what makes uh, one more thing about this song? That whole Billy Jack bitch reference to me was, "I hate this chick." Oh, don't forget, I hate your ass too. <laughs> but I already talked about you. But I want to make sure you understand. I still hate you too. <laughs> that's how I looked at it. That's a, that's kind of cool. I like that. I like that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. This song is just fun. And I love the video too. Like you said, though, I never thought about the whole love is blind thing. I, I always thought the blindfolds were interesting. So yeah, I like that interpretation of it. It's really good. Yeah. So many different flavors on this one song. It's a masterpiece to me. Easily my favorite song on the album. Nice. Well, uh i don't know that it's it's definitely not my favorite it's up there it's probably in the top five but uh the next song the title cut gold there's a mountain and it's mighty high you cannot see the top unless you fly and there's a morning Proven ground Ain't nowhere to go If you hang around Everybody wants to sell It's already been sold Everybody wants to tell It's already been told What's the use of money If you ain't gonna break the mold Even at the center of the fire There is cold this is possibly my favorite Prince song of all time. And I only say possibly because we haven't heard, there's so much more for us to hear yet. So as of now, this is my favorite Prince song of all time, Gold. Um, He swings for a second Purple Rain-esque song here, and he more than succeeds. I love the lyrics. I feel like he's encouraging you to live a really positive life. You only got one shot at it. You know, what's the use of money if you ain't going to break the mold? If you have the ability, you should do something, you know, take a risk. You know, all that glitters ain't gold. 
um, and his solo at the end of the track just soars. It's one of his best. It's a power ballad. Like it's more of a power ballad than Purple Rain, Rain was. I think like it's, you can compare it to an 80s power ballad in a way. There's layers of guitar. There's an acoustic guitar mixed in the background. Uh, some orchestration creeps in and that's definitely live orchestration. It's not keys or anything. And, you know, we're welcome to the new power generation at the end and we're welcome to the dawn. Um, it's so cool. It's such a wonderful way to end an album and I love this song. It's everything I want from Prince and I always come back to it like year after year after year. Yeah, definitely epic. I mean, written to kill in arenas, right? I mean, this is what the song's written about. And I'm with you. If this song is released in 84 instead of Purple Rain, everything we'd be wearing would be gold instead of purple. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind. I, to me, it's better than Purple Rain. People, you know, casual listeners, oh, Purple Rain's been around for the last, you know, 37 years. I got you. I got you. When you put side by side, I think this song is better because he's actually a little more, uh, it's a little tamer, but a little more epic. And it's not as repeated as Purple Rain is sometimes. And sometimes Purple Rain seems to drag a bit. And Gold feels a little more uplifting, even though it's ballad. Um, I love the video in the club. I love that he comes out on that belted sidewalk. Yeah. And then he goes back on the belted sidewalk. There's glitter everywhere. Um, yeah, but that whole line about everybody wants to sell what's already been sold, that's all about Warner Brothers just wants another Purple Rain. They just want to basically keep selling that album over and over and over and over and over, and they don't want to hear anything else. Right. Um, so even uh, Prince himself said, yeah, this is the next Purple Rain. This is Purple Rain 2 or however he said in an interview. So uh, he was a big fan of the song too, and I think it's a great way to end the album. Absolutely. Like, you, I don't know, you just, it has, I, I agree with you. I, I was kind of curious what you were going to say. I agree it's better than Purple Rain. And for, for the reason you said, you're a little more uplifted. Purple Rain, not a sad song, but man, I really feel elevated at the end, end, at the end of the album. And then you're welcome to the dawn, which he's been referencing that for years at this point. Like he keeps say, like saying, you know, may you live to see the dawn or welcome to the new power generation. Like, I feel like this is him kind of like, he's grasping the ring of what he's been trying to achieve probably since Graffiti Bridge at this point with this song and this album. Like he's kind of, clinch some kind of ring he's been reaching for yeah you know who knows if he ever got to where he felt comfortable kind of that he had done everything he could do i doubt he probably felt that i think he got to choose what he wanted to do i think that's great um there's a lot of people in life don't even get to be that right so um and i in the end i'm glad he was fighting for the little guy because really although he felt whiny in the early nineties. He was kind of fighting for the little guy. Yep. And um, this album is written with forget about Prince. I'm somebody else too. forget about all that stuff I've done already. Right. There's other stuff I'm going to do that rhymed. I didn't mean that. Um, <laughs> but I think he was, I was worried. I'm like, Oh my God, is he going to stop doing like purple rain in 1999 and we see him live. That's it. He's not going to do any of that stuff because he's sick of being, uh, I guess, associated with that, blah, blah, blah. And he was even kind of hinting towards that in the mid-90s, early 2000s. And they kind of, you know, even in the Rave 2 uh, Joy DVD, there's not a lot of classics in there. And it's like, oh, no, here we go. 
yeah that that set list for that dvd is interesting and yeah i feel like didn't wasn't there like a tour before gold experience where it was like this is the last time i'm doing these you know like kind of like when bowie did his sound and vision thing where it's like it's the last time i'm doing these hits if you want to see them now's the time to do it because i am going forward to something else after this and with even with bowie it didn't last like eventually the hits crept their way back into the set list gradually but they did yeah because i think at some point you realize and maybe bowie did too is okay you're pissed off at the record company you're pissed off at yourself that you let yourself go to a place and you didn't want to go to that place and now you're a new person great every fan that loves you has connections to that they don't get to live their part of the lives over and over and over and over because you're being selfish about what somebody made you become like come on dude you were a voice of a generation you're gonna have to go back to it Absolutely. because people love that otherwise what they'll do is they'll just sit at home and listen to your old stuff and not buying your new stuff absolutely i agree and uh he, he went back on it pretty quick i think i think by the time we get to that jam of the year tour like it's mostly a hit set at that point if i remember from what i've seen online like by the time he gets there it's all like there's a few songs from emancipation creeping in but he really went back to doing the old stuff yeah i think he went back to it pretty quick too i think it was almost a threat of if Warner brothers doesn't let me go, if I don't get away from these guys, I'm never doing this stuff again, like that kind of thing, which um, once that thing all got kind of got ironed out, I think he was kind of back to his old self. Yeah. He was fine. Like, okay, no one's forcing me to do this. I'm yeah. choosing to do this. All right then. Yeah, definitely. But that wraps up. That's the last song on the album. I do want to touch on, uh, we already talked about Days of the Wild. Um, there's another B-side from this album I want to touch on. That is Rock and Roll is Alive and It Lives in Minneapolis. Interesting song. Um, it was written as a response to Lenny Kravitz's uh, Rock is Dead, which is kind of funny because Lenny is his friend and also appears on the album. He's singing backing vocals on Billy Jack Fish. Um, it's kind of interesting. For a song about rock and roll, I kind of wish it was a little harder, um, but I enjoyed it. Um, I'm, that's one of those ones I'm wishing would like resurface somehow like that's why i want the song to be reissued i want to get all those songs in one place so i dig it it's a cool track what do you think uh, i think it's a great track i i wish it was on the album right yeah. i i think it deserved to be on the album and it's possible that you get a reissue and it doesn't have most beautiful girl in the world that they sell that as a single to make the lawsuit happy and then they release gold with that song instead and then you just kind of go with it. I mean, that's an interesting concept. Yeah. God, I kind of hope you're wrong about that box set. I hope <laughs> I hope they figure something out, man. Yeah, that, that was my one little uh, side note track. But to bring it all home, album comes out, um, I think, in yeah, September 95. And does okay. It goes gold, appropriately. But this is the very much the end of Prince's time with Warner Brothers. There's two more uh, quote-unquote vault releases of this, after this. There's uh, Chaos and Disorder and um old friend for sale but uh prince didn't really do much to promote those um after this he very much goes goes on his own we get emancipation um on his own label and he just kind of floats through the nine end of the 90s kind of in a weird like you said his head in the sand in flux place like if you weren't really jacked into prince you didn't know what was going on for quite a while i think maybe things kind of bubbled up again at a rave or at least tried to because he was on arista i think at the time 
but he really didn't put himself back in the public eye again, I think, until musicology. And I think he was trying to control what was going on the internet, right? So he wanted you to be part of the MPG club. He wanted you to come to his world instead of him having to be everywhere to reach you. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. That's interesting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm a, a stats nerd. So this album topped out at six on the Billboard 200, Ooh. October 14th, 95, right? Which actually happens to be my birthday. I turned 26 that day. Wow. Here was the top five. <laughs> You're going to love this. Oh. Number five was All I Want by Tim McGraw. Oh. Best thing about Tim McGraw is he gets to do Faith Hill. That's about it. Yep. Um, <laughs> Number four was a new album that had just hit the charts and got to number four on his first week, Ball Breaker by ACDC. <laughs> number, funny. yeah. Number three was Crack Rear View by Hootie and the Blowfish. Yeah. It'd been on the chart for a long while. Figures. <laughs> number two was Dangerous Mind soundtrack, which the movie was huge and the soundtrack was huge, right? And Coolio's gang- Gangster Paradise like made that soundtrack. Oh, that's all and that, then. Okay. Yeah, and then number one was uh, your buddy Elanis Morissette, Jagged oh. Little Pill. Oh, <laughs> no. oh, could there be a more 90s top five? Wow. Yeah, that's right. Good for that ACDC album. I was not aware it did that well. Good, yeah. good on you guys. Wow. That's not even one I like that much. <laughs> no. I kind of, I'm off the ACDC kick after pretty much uh, probably Who Made Who. Then I kind of drop off. I mean, I, I, I stayed on to, I'm, I'm still on board. I like Rocker Bust. I actually didn't like Power Up that much. <laughs> and I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or if it's really just not as good as I think it, want, want to think it is. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. But no, this is a great album. And I'll tell you, if, if you are at all interested in Prince and you want to find out a little bit about him, just start watching some YouTube interviews. And you'll get lost for hours. Absolutely. He's, he's fascinating. I re- like, even though he kind of kept to himself, when he's out there, that stuff is fascinating. Like, just to see him talk for a while. And he's so funny. He's hilarious. And he dry humor. And people don't get it. Yeah, he's great. Like, what's the, what's the one interview? The, uh, the Arsenio Hall one. Oh, that's awesome. One. So good. Yeah, the, so and he's good. there the whole show, which is awesome. Yeah, I, that was a, he performed with Third Eye Girl, I think, too. Also, there's a great uh, video of him doing She's Always in My Hair from that. Yep. No, great album overall. Yeah, totally. Uh, and I'm so glad I could have you on for this one. I figured you'd be a fan of this one. And I wanted just to talk about a Prince album that I just loved to death this year. Um, after everything we've been through, I wanted to just have fun and celebrate. So it's great to celebrate Prince with you, man. It's great to celebrate his life and his legacy. Like his music it's one of those artists that just left such an impact on me and I didn't even like get to like see him perform. Like it really like affected the way I looked at music. I kind of like, I branched out a little bit. I kind of got more into like R and B and funk stuff. Like I love Sly and the family stone right now. I love earth, wind and fire. Um, it really just broadened my musical horizons and I love his honesty. I love his voice, his writing. He, and I love, he doesn't give a fuck. He just, he does Prince does what he does and he's confident in it. I love that about him. Yeah, it's hard to believe that he's been gone five years already. Uh, That's crazy. I remember when uh, I heard about him passing, it was like a family member, like a close family member passing. It was amazing. I never met the guy, um, but I 
I've been lucky enough that I grew up in the eighties. That was my teenage years, tons of unbelievable music on the radio. And so this type of music, especially princess music is weaved throughout my life, right? He was there in the nineties when I got married, he was in there in the two thousands when I had kids, he was there in the 2010s when they became teenagers, right? And his music would be with me forever. So I completely appreciate you giving me an opportunity to come join and uh, talk about Prince because, like I said, I don't get to do that often. You're welcome. You're welcome back anytime, man, because I love talking to you. I love talking music. I'm sure we'll do this do this again someday. Maybe we'll even do something a little he- heavier. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe a Pretty Boy Floyd. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, pretty Boy Floyd. <laughs> I've never heard their music, but I just looking at the album covers, I already know what it sounds like. Yeah, it pretty much sounds exactly like you think it does. Motley Crue <laughs> on speed. Uh, Motley Crue uh, and Faster Pussycat had a baby that couldn't sing. That's what it sounds like. Oh, no. I didn't know. Is a singer? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, it's pretty, that's probably a little harsh. That's probably a little harsh. I'm just not a big pretty boy Floyd. <laughs> oh man. Uh, you, you guys talk about some fun bands on your, on your, on your show. I have to say like, even like you, inter- like I, you talk about bands that I've never even heard of, like from that era that like the really cool, like obscure ones that like, let's talk about growing up rock for a second. Talk about your podcast, man. I love listening to it. I didn't discover it until you and I, we were on a, we were on a live stream with the pods and sods guides. Uh, talking about uh, hair metal albums, and uh, I went back and checked out your guys' show, and I've just been having a lot of fun listening to it, like ever since then. So, talk about your show, man. Yeah, we've been around uh, Growing Up Rock podcast. Uh, GrownUpRock dot com is probably the uh, best place to come check us out. We've been around about three and a half years. We're coming around on our two hundredth episode, which should be out here. Uh, might already be out by the time this comes out. Nice. Um, and uh, it's just uh, me and this guy named Steven, and uh, we've been kind of hammering away, haven't missed a week uh, in, you know, three and a half, four years almost. And basically we, you know, sometimes we do theme stuff, sometimes we do interviews. I saw you had uh, Pilsen on for an interview. We've had Pilsen yeah. on for an interview before. Um, and times we'll do, you know, album reviews. At times we'll just, you know, pick fun songs to play. At times we talk about uh, some of the bands that are kind of forgotten. And we're, both of us are really into uh, what's going on in Europe the last few years with uh, the music movement there and bands like Eclipse and Heat and and some of these bands that uh, nobody knows, but when 80s fans, hair metal fans listen to them, it's like, oh my God, where are these guys from? Like, there's some great new music out there. So, you know, people say rock is dead. Here's what I'll tell you. Rock can't make no money, but it ain't dead. Absolutely. You nailed it. God, it's a, it's it's such a it, it hurts sometimes too to think that, but yeah, it's true. It's rock and roll is still alive. It's not it's not exactly you know big like it used to be or even easy to find, but it's thriving. It somehow thrives. Yeah, and there's plenty of it out there. I think what what's happening is is frustrating people because there's too much, and for all of you know my bitching about oh the record companies blah blah this blah blah that they did basically uh thin out the herd before you had to hear it and had you hear what they thought was cream of the crop were they always right no but they were more right than they were wrong because i'll tell you i listened to probably 190 albums last year and i liked about 35 of them yeah yeah i feel sometimes overwhelmed by like a label like frontiers like they just keep dumping these melodic rock releases on you and you gotta (laughs) 
every so often you find like a palace or um or bloody heels or something like that yeah. and then other times it's just like yeah that's all right yeah all right. like if you love acdc and gnr there's a band out there called la maybe they just released an album it's incredible it's awesome right and are they gonna make any money off that i don't know probably not <laughs> <laughs> probably not yeah and yeah, you guys are just fun. I, lo- I love your show, and who knows, maybe someday we'll do a collaboration there. Um, I was hoping, I was hoping someday to be on the show. Uh, oh, we'll de- we'll get you on. That's easy. Awesome. We'll get you on on a trivia episode. Oh yes, yes. <laughs> we love doing those. I was just putting the final touches on one earlier today. Yes, I would love that. <laughs> oh man, that'd be incredible. All right. Well, to wrap it all up, uh, Sonny, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a privilege. Uh, this Prince month has been great. And uh, those of you listening, go check out the gold experience. If you haven't heard it, go listen to growing up rock, check out the Prince episode. They're also doing every Van Halen album this year, I believe, or at least trying to uh, one a month. Uh, next one up is going to be my favorite fair warning. So I'll be checking that out, but till next time, may you all live to see the pod. That- There's a mountain, and it's mighty high You cannot see the top, unless you fly And there's a molehill, a proven ground Ain't nowhere to go, if you hang around Everybody wants to say it's already been sold Everybody wants to tell what's already been told What's the use of money if you ain't gonna break the mold Even at the center of the fire, there is cold All that glitters
You are now an official member of the new power generation. Welcome to the dawn. for listening to the Sly Dog Music Cast. If you want to know what's going on, follow me on Twitter at Sly Dog Music Cast or Facebook at Sly Dog Music Cast. Thanks again for listening. Peace, love, and music.